or that line in that song. And, and by faith we'll walk with you as you walk with us. Lord, what a blessing it is for us that you love us so much that you want a relationship with us. Lord, I pray that we would do our part to believe in you, to walk by faith, to trust in you with our whole lives. Lord, as we open your word now, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we would look to you and receive your truth and live in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I need a couple of volunteers, preferably aged second grade through fourth grade. Oh, or Anna can... Anna, you're... They're perfect for this one. Okay. One more volunteer. Your fifth grade. Uh, were you ever held back a grade? You qualify then. Okay. Uh, I need one one more volunteer, or Anna can do both of them. Oh, Lizzie, you want to try the second one? Okay, I think you can do the second one. Here. Question first. Do we have any other self-professed math geeks in here besides me? Uh, you love math.
somewhere right about there, and you draw that other line, and stop when you get to that green line. There we go. There's our triangle. We could just erase this top part, and that's exactly what our triangle would look like if we know the bottom, angle, side, and angle. And there's mathematical proof behind it. I'm not just making this stuff up. We know these things for sure. So another hand for our other, other lovely assistants. Turn this back around now. <coughs> okay. Is there any such thing as proof in our walk with God? Can we know with certainty that we have a relationship with God? Can we know with certainty that we'll get to be with Him in heaven? That we have eternal life? Or are we just supposed to believe in blind faith and hope that in the end it will all work out? Well, I want to tell you today that there is a form of proof in our walk with God. And the passage today is a wonderful passage, one that has been so meaningful to me in my life. It tells us about... I just want to read for you a verse at the end of it. This is the last verse in our passage of Scripture today. 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know. Now what we're going to be talking about today is in part assurance of salvation. That's a theological term. It's different, this is a quick theological side note, it's different than eternal security. Eternal security says, regardless of when I, you know, 50 years from now or whenever, I know that right now I'll go to heaven when I die. We're not talking about that today. We could talk about that at a different time. But what we're talking about today is assurance of salvation, which says, I know that right now I have a relationship with God, and if I were to die right now, I would go to heaven. And the beauty of assurance of salvation is that we can have assurance at every single moment in our lives as we walk by faith. Eternal security, that one might be up for grabs depending on, on which way you lean on that. There's some verses that really make it look like we have it, some verses that maybe look on the other side. But assurance of salvation is something that the Bible teaches us that we can have at every moment of our lives that fact of knowing Christ and knowing that we have eternal life through what he's done. Now we're walking through this book of 1 John. We're in week 8 out of 9, so I've been telling you to read it and reread it. You've only got one week left. Um, I thought about having a little test here, a little show of hands. We're not going to do it. I, I really want to, but I was going to ask, how many of you have read the book at least three times over our sermon series? Okay, we got one show of hands. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad that some of you have, and I, I really, really encourage you to, to finish your study of the book of 1 John. Because... For me, it's like, I, I know this book better now than I did nine weeks ago. And I just think that's really neat. Every once in a while, we take a book of the Bible and we get to know it better. But what we've been studying in the book of 1 John, we've been seeing a lot of heart checks. That's what I've been talking about in previous weeks. Let me give you a few of these heart checks. If we walk with God, we should flee from sin. If we walk with God, if we love God, we should love one another. If we love God, we should obey his commands. Those are all heart checks that we can do. We can check our actions, but our actions point to what's going on in our heart. And we can figure out how we're doing in our relationship with God. Today, we have a test for our faith. So it's not a heart check today, it's a faith check today. There's an important phrase in this passage today. He who believes. It shows up four times, although one of those four times is in the negative, he who does not believe. But this, this passage is built around that phrase, he who believes. And to me, it's kind of like a mathematical proof. 
Although it's not just the kind of proof that we know in our minds. That's, math is something that we know in our minds, but this, the proof that we're going to be talking about today is kind of a proof in our hearts. It's a proof, really, about our faith. And it all has to do with who we believe. If our belief is rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ, the results are awesome. And in our passage today, what we end up seeing is a bunch of truth claims, things that we are to hold on to. And think about the context of it. I've said this before, but John was writing to people who knew the truth of the gospel on one hand. They had been taught this message of the gospel. But also, there were some false teachers who had come in and tried to get them to believe other things. So John here is kind of clearing the air, and even more so what he's doing is he's setting the boundaries. He's saying, if you want to believe rightly, here is what you believe. So we're going to look at those boundaries today and we're going to see the awesome results if we believe what God says we should believe. So I've set up my sermon today in two points and each one of them is rooted in that phrase, he who believes. My first point comes from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. I'll read it for you now. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. My first point today is that if we believe in Jesus as the Christ, we are born of God. If we believe in Jesus as the Christ, we are born of God. Now, I, I know I've got a lot of fill-in-the-blanks in my notes today. You don't have to fill them all out, but really points A and points B are the big ones. And since we're kind of doing mathematical proof-type stuff today, I just figured I'd have some more notes for you, for those of you that want to follow along. But if we believe in Jesus as the Christ, we are born of God. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? I, I hope you would all be able to answer that question. What does the term Christ mean? Christ and Messiah both mean the same thing. They mean anointed one. In the Old Testament, we saw that the king of Israel was God's anointed. So the, the word Messiah means king, but it carries a special meaning as well, especially as we look at the way the New Testament uses the word. It, the New Testament looks back at all the promises that were made about that special Messiah, that special anointed one. In one sense, there were many kings of Israel, but also in one sense, the, the Old Testament pointed ahead to one special king of Israel one who would be the son of David, one who would reign on the throne forever, one who would be the divine king. And that's what we see Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, claiming to be. That I am the Christ. Faithful Jews were longing for this Messiah to come. And then here comes Jesus and he says, that's me, I'm the one. Now it says here that if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that we're born of God. And that means that we're God's children. And that means that we get to receive the inheritance that God gives to his children. In fact, it says that the inheritance is for Christ and that we get to be co-heirs in that inheritance with Christ. So do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Now, it's easy for us, on, in one sense, to say, well, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Just like it would have been easy for me in geometry class to say, well, hey, I can draw with that triangle. Why do I need to do all this mathematical proof here? But that wasn't good enough for the teacher, just to draw it out. So the question I'm asking you is, do you believe in the Christ? And then I want to ask you, how do we know? How do we know if we believe in the Christ? Well, 
John gives us some ways that we can check our faith here. And I see three of them in verses, starting in the middle of verse 1. I want to reread for you part of this passage. Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. So three proofs, and did you notice that all three of these proofs have to do with love? So we're talking about faith, but faith really that springs from our love for God. The first proof is that if we love the Father, we will love his child too. And you notice here the word child is singular in verse 1. Quick illustration here. When my wife and I were in seminary, we had a Bible study, and during the course of that Bible study, we had our first son, Josiah. Not, not like in the Bible study. We, we, you know, we went to the hospital. And, but uh, in that Bible study was a friend of mine named Jeff Arney. And Jeff was this super smart, super theological guy. He's now a Greek professor of New Testament at a, at a school in Australia. But he's just this, this guy, you would, you would see him with his nose in a book and he'd be loving it, his big smile on his face as he's reading. Something interesting happened, though, when Josiah was born. Jeff really took to this guy, Josiah, it was, to this kid. It was funny to see this super smart brainiac guy playing peekaboo with a baby. It was just, you know, and what it, what it showed to me is that Jeff was growing in affection for my son, Josiah. But what it said to me was that Jeff and I had a strong relationship as well because the, the relationship that we had as a basis propelled him not just to love me, but also to love my child. And that's what we see here. If we claim that we love God, we need to love his child, Jesus Christ, as well. When asked what the greatest commandment in the law was, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. So do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Does it show? You know, there's this old analogy that goes, if, if there was a, a court case and you were on trial and the, the claim was that you believed in Jesus, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough other people out there who could give testimony that would say, yeah, that person is a follower of Christ? Or how does it show in your life? What evidence is there that you love God? There should be some of that. Now on the positive side, then we can take that evidence as proof of faith in one sense along with these other checks that we're going to do. And let's move on to the second one. The second proof is that we should love God's children. And now it's plural. And this is from verse 2. Now Jesus is the Son of God, and all of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord are also children of God. In Hebrews it says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Now the idea is then, if we love God, we should love Jesus, but we should also love our other brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is a major theme in 1 John. In fact, this shows up as a heart check in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5. If we love God, we should love one another. If we say that we love God but we don't love one another, it says that we're walking in the darkness and we deceive ourselves. So how are you doing at loving one another? It's actually a check of our faith that if we see that we're not loving one another, that there might be something wrong with our faith. But if we do love one another, then it can stand as a proof of our faith. So that's the second one. And then the third one, this third proof, is that if we love God, we should obey Him. And that's from verse 3. 
in John's writings, there's a strong link between love and obedience. If we merely think of love as this kind of mushy, touchy-feely, emotional sort of a thing, it might sound weird to talk about obedience, but actually, many times in the Bible, we see this link between love and obedience. In fact, four times, just in John chapter 14 and 15 alone, we see Jesus making this link between love and obedience. Let me read for you one of those. He says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now you might be saying, well, wait a second, didn't Jesus rail on the Pharisees? For They were people who obeyed the law, but they didn't love God. And I would say, yeah, you're right, he did rail on those Pharisees. But notice specifically what he railed on them for. It was for where their hearts were at. He said, you should keep on observing the law, but you should make sure your hearts are right with God. In fact, never in the Bible is obedience to God frowned upon. So as we're trying not to be pharisaical, we need to get it straight here. It's not the obedience to God that we need to throw out. It's this obedience that doesn't have any connection to what's going on in our hearts. So we should be obeying God. And as we obey God, it shows our love for him. Or think of it this way. God wants to lead us into what's right. He wants to give us an abundant life. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Think about what a shepherd does. He, he takes his sheep and he leads them to the place of abundance so that they can eat. So if Jesus, our good shepherd, says, hey, come on, sheep, over here, there, there's some green pasture over here that I want you to feed on, we, as his sheep, should follow him. So obeying God's commands is actually a good thing for us to do. And it shows our love. It's actually proof of our love for him, proof that we believe in the Christ. One theologian he said, it's nonsense to say we love God, yet violate his commands. That's not love, to say we love him and then do exactly the opposite of what he says we should. That's not love. It's not faith. And John goes on to say in this section that God's commands aren't burdensome. It might feel like it that way at times. It might feel like, oh, okay, what do I have to do now? But actually, going right along with what Jesus said, he said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we follow God's commands, we find strength and joy in following them because he leads us into the abundant life. So there's the proof. If we love Jesus, if we love one another, and if we obey God's commands, it proves that we believe in Jesus and that we're born of God. And let me show you the awesome result of this in verse 4. It says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. If we have faith in God, it leads to a victory. Not a victory we earn for ourselves, but one that God has won for us. By faith, we're on the winning team. Now this word overcomes here is a really awesome and powerful word. It's the same word used in chapter 2 to say that we have overcome the evil one. It's also the same word used in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And if you're looking for a good, quiet time, place to read today, I'd suggest reading Revelation 2 and 3. It's the letter to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And at the end of each of those seven letters, you might remember this, it says, To him who overcomes, I will give strength. The promises of God in eternal life are so wonderful. They're listed out for us. Seven diff- Actually, some of them have more than one. Each of those seven letters has promises for us 
I, I actually sat down and wrote out all of them and just looked at them. This is what God gives to he who overcomes. And that's what we see here. If we have faith in God, we overcome. And we receive not only the blessings of eternal life, but the blessings that come in eternal life. So let me just wrap up this first proof. If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, we are born of God. The proof of whether we believe in him is if we love Jesus, if we love one another, and if we obey God's commands. And the result is victory and eternal life and the blessings that come in eternal life. Sounds pretty good to me. What do we need to do? We need to believe in Jesus. And that belief should show itself then in how we love, how we obey, how we live with others. Okay, let's go on to our second one now. And this is from verses 5 through 13. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's part B. Here's the proof, or the, the, the statement that we're going to try to prove here. If we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, we can know that we have eternal life. If we believe in Jesus as the Son of God, we can know that we have eternal life. Really? Can we have that assurance of salvation? Let me tell you my personal story of how I came to know this truth. I've said many times here, I was about 15 years old when I really understood what the gospel message was. I remember hearing that God wanted to forgive my sins, that he knew all about my sins, but that he wanted to forgive me, and that he wanted to have a a 24-hour-a-day relationship with me that stretched into eternal life. Uh, The way I heard it was that, uh, that I was to invite Jesus Christ into my heart to receive the blessings of forgiveness and eternal life. And I remember thinking that day, wow, that's awesome, God. If you want that relationship with me, I want it with you. Now you fast forward a couple weeks from there, and I heard that same message again. And my thought was, oh yeah, boy, that's a really good message. I wonder if I you know, lost it somewhere back in there. Or I wonder, if, you know, did I do it wrong the first time? Did I say the wrong prayer the first time? So about maybe two weeks later, I prayed to receive Christ again. And then you fast forward another month, and probably about 40 times is my guess. 40 times in my first four years of walking with Christ, I prayed to receive Christ. Now, I don't think we need to do it that way. I I kind of view it more as a marriage now. My wife and I were married on May 21st, 2005. You can ask her if I got that date right later. I think that's right. Uh, We're married. Ever since then, we've been married. That doesn't mean that every day of our life has been perfect. It doesn't mean even that we haven't had bad days. But what it means is that we're married. 
and that if I go someday and I, I feel like I've messed things up, I don't need to go find another pastor and say, hey, pastor, can we get married again? We're already married, and we need to, we need to work on our marriage. But what I learned from the Bible after about four years of walking with God is that we can have assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. That we can know if we have life. We can know if we have eternal life, a relationship with God. I want to walk you through that teaching now that was so important to me. Uh, it's really been one of the most important teachings I feel like I've learned. One of those you know, just caught me in my tracks and I said, wow, thank you God for this. The key phrase, again, is he who believes. You see that in verse 5. We're told in verse 5 that we are to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, in one sense, every one of us who believes in Christ as Savior and Lord are children of God, but there's a special way, something different about Jesus as the Son of God, something that's different than us, something that will never be. For Jesus to be the Son of God means that he is of the same essence as God the Father. Historically speaking, that's a really important way to talk about it, that God is of the same essence, made of the same stuff as God the Father. So he's not just the Son of God, he is God the Son. But how can we know that Jesus is the Son of God? Is there any proof? Well, John says there is. John says there's testimony. That word testimony, it kind of means evidence. You can picture this part of 1 John almost like it's happening in a courtroom. So here's the illustration. Um, there's a courtroom setting and there's all these witnesses that are bearing testimony. And it says in this passage that there are three of them who give testimony. The first two are water and blood. Now those have been interpreted various ways throughout history, but recently people are coming to much more agreement on what these mean. That the water refers to Jesus' baptism and the blood refers to Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and I think that that's what those two testimonies are. So the first one, water, refers to that time when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Remember what happened there? The Spirit descended like a dove on him and there was a voice that boomed from heaven that said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God himself testified at the baptism of Jesus that Jesus is the Son of God. Take the next one, the blood. Again, if we take that to mean Jesus' death and resurrection, what we see is actually an amazing proof that the Son of God took our sins upon himself, defeated the power of sin and death and the devil, and rose again victoriously. So the blood of Jesus testifies to the fact that he is the Son of God. And, and just by the way, as a side note, I think that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the strongest proofs that we have in our faith. The fact that Jesus still lives means that we can live with him now and forever. Now taken together, the water and the blood highlight the fact that the man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, is the Son of God. Remember in John's day, there was a heresy. There were people out there saying that, oh, that, that man, Jesus, it, it just looked like he was a man, or it just looked like he was the Son of God, but he really wasn't. He was just, you know, somebody who has some secret knowledge. But Son of God, no, don't, don't go there. Do we see that heresy at all in our day? I think we do. I think we see it all around. In fact, I think that we see it so often that we maybe forget that it's a heresy. Here's how it reappears in our day and age. People who say, Jesus, great teacher, 
Boy, that guy can really help you out. If you're in a bind, you, yeah, go ahead, flip open your Bible and read his teachings because he might just be able to help you out a little bit. But the same people who say that might be the same exact people who say, but don't go overboard with it. Come on, don't, don't become one of those religious nutcases. Because they think that Jesus was just a man with a couple of good ideas. Just like Confucius had some good ideas. Just like whoever in our day and age might have some good ideas. But I say he's more than that. I say that he is God the Son and that we must follow him. And, and there's no such thing as moderation in following Jesus. There's a third witness too. We've talked about the water. We've talked about the blood. They testify to who Jesus Christ is. There's a third witness here. It says it's the Spirit. It refers to the Holy Spirit. It's called the Spirit of Truth as well. Now how does the Holy Spirit testify? Well, in the Gospel of John, it says that the Holy Spirit convinces the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Basically what that means is that the Holy Spirit is convincing people of the truth of the Gospel message. Also, for those of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we've received the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit now does His convincing work on the inside of us to convince us of the truth of who Jesus is. A couple of verses here. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons of God, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. So the Holy Spirit wants to convince us from the inside of the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That's why we were given the Holy Spirit, among other things, among other reasons. It goes on in verse 9 to say that God himself has testified. It goes on in verse 10 to say that this testimony is in our hearts. So all this testimony, all this, you know, as we think about Jesus' life, as we think about what the Holy Spirit does, it all points in the same direction that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, that he's the Son of God, that he is the Christ. God has given his testimony. We're not just left to stumble around in the darkness and hope that we find it. Jesus said, seek and you will find. God wants us to know this testimony in our hearts. So if we're treating this like a court case, verse 10 is like the beginning of the closing argument. Think of that, that picture of a courtroom. And here's what John says. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. He who believes is key there. Either you believe God's testimony or you don't. But God wants us to know the truth. We can have a growing inner conviction that these things are true. Or we could reject the evidence. So again, you can see John. He's kind of like a liar or a lawyer. I'm sorry, I really did not mean to say that. I'm going <laughs> to say the word liar later. That's why John is like a lawyer and he says... It's your choice. You can believe God or you can call God a liar. Which one's it going to be? And you're the ones that have to decide this court case. Is God a liar or not? I don't think so. I think that God is true. And here's the hammer of the testimony. Verse 11 and 12. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
reminds me of John 3.36, which says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. There are only two responses to Jesus. Either we accept him for who he is, Savior and Lord, Christ, Messiah, Son of God, or we reject him. Those are the only two choices we have. If we accept him, if we believe in him and put our trust in him, he will give us life. That's what verse 12 says. He who has the Son has life. God's word is true. He wants us to know this. And I find that, again, so awesome. The God of the universe wants us to know for certain that eternal life has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And he who has the Son has life. So have you received him? Do you believe in him? Have you given your life to him? If so, you have eternal life. Let me run through this proof again just to conclude this one. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we can know that we have eternal life. The proof is whether we believe the testimony given by the Spirit, by the water, by the blood, really by God himself. If we truly believe God and have received Jesus as Savior and Lord, the result is that we have eternal life. So we're talking proof today. But the kind of proof we're talking about, again, isn't just that proof that resides in our minds. It's that proof that is shown in our faith, in our walk with God as we daily walk with him. Do you believe in Jesus? Here's the conclusion. To believe in Jesus carries with it massive implications. We're talking about whether we believe in God or not. And again, for me personally, this was so important in my life. It was like I, I wanted to believe the truth of God, but I also heard these other voices saying, well, you're not good enough, or you haven't done it right, or you need to do it again. But the truth of God's word says that eternal life is in Jesus Christ, and we can know it. But to believe in him carries with it massive implications. Let me start with an awesome implication. This is the first one on your notes if you're following along. If we believe in Jesus, we have eternal life. And again, I believe that God wants us to know this and to live in the peace that comes with it. For those first four years of my walk with God, I kind of had this up and down roller coaster that's like, oh, I, I feel saved and now I don't feel saved. But after I heard this teaching on the Bible, this was probably, what, 16 years ago now, I've walked around since then with this confidence, not a confidence in myself, not a confidence in like, hey, I've finally figured it out, I've, I've arrived and I'm one of those super Christians, not at all like that but the confidence of knowing that God wants us to know eternal life. He's given it to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So if you ask me, if you were to die today, how sure are you that you would go to heaven? I'd say 100%. Not because of how good I am, but because of how good Jesus is and because how powerful His blood is. That's what God wants us to know. He who has the Son has life. The second implication, and this is a trickier one, second implication of believing in Jesus is that we should live differently because we love him, because we know him. If we love Jesus, we should love one another. That's not always easy, but it's one of the proofs of our faith. If we don't do a good job of loving others, we need to look at our hearts. We need to, we need to look at our faith and see if there's something wrong there. 
Also, if we love Jesus, we should obey his commands. And I know that that might not sound like fun to some people, but the truth is, is that it leads to abundance in our walk with him. If we believe in Jesus, it should change how we live. We should submit to him. We should follow him. There should be that proof in our daily walk that we love him and follow him. And then the final implication I want to show you about believing in Jesus is that if we do believe him, we can know that we have eternal life. Now, my my first one was that we can have eternal life. This one's a little bit different. It's that we can know that we have eternal life. Again, verse 13, these things... I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want us to have to worry about eternity. Remember last week's passage, it says um, we can have confidence on the day of judgment. It says there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. It's talking about judgment day and the fact that we can have confidence as we look forward to that day, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ. And I believe that this passage today teaches that we can have that confidence in Jesus Christ as our Savior, confidence in eternal life. Do you want that confidence? Two things you need to do if you want that confidence. And and I'll wrap up with these. First is receive Jesus. If you haven't already received Jesus, you need to do it. John 1.12 says, To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if you've already done that, if you already know that you've received Jesus, you don't need to do it 40 more times. We we do need to receive him, though. Life hangs in the balance. The second way that we have confidence is that we continue to walk with Jesus. This assurance of salvation that we're talking about today is not just for those who prayed a prayer 20 years ago. It's not just for those who say, oh, I already received Jesus. The kind of assurance of salvation we're talking about today is for those who continue to walk with Christ. And here's the way I like to think about it. That today, by faith, I affirm what I said 20 years ago, that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. And if I had to do it again, I would do it again. Jesus Christ is still my Savior and Lord, and I prove that by continuing to walk with Him. As I do that, as I continue to walk with Him, He strengthens me and gives me that confidence that will carry me through. And if you simply pray to receive Jesus but then live as if he's not your Lord, it points to something being wrong and you may not have actually received him at all. But if you received him and continue to walk by faith, you can have confidence in your relationship with him right now and you can have confidence in eternal life. Let your life bear witness to the fact that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. And if you do, you'll grow in confidence. I want to close in prayer now, and I just feel it would be right to, to give any of you the chance here. If there's any of you who don't know if you've ever received Jesus as Savior and Lord, you can pray with me, just even silently in your heart, pray to receive him. And then I'm going to close with a prayer for all of us to continue to walk with him. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. And by faith, right now, Lord, if there are any who want to receive Jesus, we just say, thank you, God, for the cross. I know that I am a sinner. I now pray to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, the one who takes away my sins, 
and as Lord, my new King. Please forgive me. Please come into my heart. Help me to have a relationship with you. And then, Father, for those of us who already know you, we pray that you would strengthen us every day in our walk with you, that we would believe in you, that we would love Jesus, that we would love one another, that we would obey your commands, that we would believe what you say to us, and that we would grow in our faith every day as we walk with you. Thank you, God, that you want us to walk with you in the light. I pray that we would do that every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.